band will be uh, back to lead us in one more uh, song just before we uh, depart uh, today. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to be back with you on the stage. It's kind of interesting. I've taken the last four weeks and and uh, just led a, a group of people through um, just an understanding of the Scriptures. And it's kind of funny how four weeks off the stage meant that I felt like I was starting all over again um, in terms of just how everything worked here, but it's really good for me to be back and uh, just to continue our series. Uh, today I'm talking about the space between the promise that God may make to us and the fulfillment of that promise. And so I've titled the message, Weight Training, because I believe that most of us spend most of our time waiting for something. A few weeks ago on a Friday, Vipka came to me, and Fridays, is, uh, Fridays are my day off, and, and Vipka came to me and she said, Craig, I've got some meetings lined up with Celebrate Recovery. She leads uh, Celebrate Recovery Ministry, and I've, I've scheduled them on a Friday, which is usually a kind of cardinal sin for us because we try and keep at least one day for ourselves, but as such, so was it. And she said, but Jaden, our son, has got a doctor's appointment at 12.30. Do you think you could take Jaden to the doctor's for me? And I'm like, yeah, I suppose I can. It's my day off, you know. No, I didn't do that. I said, yes, of course I could. And so I turned up at the school just before 12, expecting to have to wait in the kind of waiting area while the teacher sent Jaden, and he was already there. The school were really organized. Well, all of this meant I got to the doctor's uh, office just after 12, around 12.05 for a 12.30 appointment. I get to the check-in area, and they say, uh, Mr. Reese, I say, yes. They say, oh, your appointment is at 12.30. And I'm like, yeah, I know. We got here a little bit early. And they'll say, they said to me, well, please do take your seat in the waiting room, and we'll call you. That's the worst thing that you can hear, right, when you're in a doctor's office. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I don't know about you, but I just don't like waiting rooms. I really don't like them. And as I'm sitting there, there are people coming in who are really sick and need to see the doctor. And I'm looking at this thinking, here I am waiting with a bunch of sick people who are far sicker than I am and Jaden are. And I'm thinking, God, just get me out of here. I don't need a doctor. And God kind of whispers to me through the Spirit, just says, so you think you're well, do you? <laughs> Sit there. Just wait a while. And 12.30 comes and 12.30 goes and but 12.45, we get called into the doctor's office. And uh, I kind of laughed at it, and I thought, laughed about it afterwards, and I thought, God, why is it that um, sitting in the, wait, in the waiting room of a doctor's office, it's as if time stands still? Doesn't it? It just exposes me to all the things that I know I need to do, and here I am just sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting. God, get me out of here, I think. And God just responds with a nice little sense of humor that he has and says, son, just sit there and wait a while. Most of us spend most of our life waiting for something. Maybe you're here today and uh, you're in a, a job situation that isn't so great and you are waiting for your work environment to get a little better than it is. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't even got a job and uh, you're waiting on that application. Maybe you do have a job and you've spoken to a company or to a friend who's promised you a job, but he says, hey, wait a little bit, I just need to kind of make this thing work. 
Or maybe you're here today and you're waiting on the right one. Or maybe you're here today and you're a parent of a prodigal and you are waiting for that prodigal child to come back to faith. Or maybe you're here today and you're waiting for your spouse to actually get serious about your faith. Or maybe you're here today and God has given you a promise and you're waiting for that promise to come to pass. Now I can't guarantee you that what you're waiting for will happen. But I can guarantee you, if you are in the space between the promise and the fulfillment, God has you in wait training. And he has you in wait training for a reason. Now you may not know what that reason is, but God does. And often, if you're anything like me, when God has you in that season of waiting, it's as if you and God live in different time zones, right? You ask, and it's as if he's kind of sleeping, and then when you're sleeping, the middle of the night, usually God wants to speak. Any of you kind of have that? The other week, um, Vipka and I were talking to my son Alec, and Alec is studying in Sydney, and this is the very week where Alec would have had a week off, and we were trying to work out whether it was worthwhile flying him back for Sydney for a week, and, and as we were having this conversation, Alec says to me, Dad, I've got about a week, and I'm like, yeah. He said, it'll take me two days to get, get here, and it'll take me two days to get back there. So basically, you're going to spend all of this money for me to be on the ground for three days, I'm like, man, he's really grown up. And he says, so dad, why don't you just send me the money that you were going to pay for the flight and I can buy a car, <laughs> right? And so, he, so now he wants to buy a car and I'm like, oh my word, now my son needs to buy his own car. Does he really know what to check a car out and all this kind of stuff? So we're trying to have this conversation, but the problem is when he's awake, I'm going to bed. And when I'm going to bed, he's awake, but he doesn't think of the time like I do, so he sends me a text message at four in the morning saying, Dad, I've seen this one, Subaru Outback, what do you think? And I'm like, son, it's too early, give me an hour. But sometimes when I'm in that waiting room, it's as if I'm asking a question of God, and God and I are in different time zones, and I kind of get frustrated by the delay. But the more I study my Bible, the more I've come to realize that to be a Christian is to be willing to wait. You see, the Bible speaks in such a way as to say waiting and worship overlap. You cannot be a Christian and worship without being a person that recognizes the value of waiting. To worship is to be willing to wait. And how we wait influences how we worship. And how we wait actually says an awful lot about the state of our worship. So God often puts us in weight training 
in order to bring us face to face with the fact that waiting and Christian living go hand in hand. And part of what God wants to do in us when he has us in the space between the promise and the fulfillment, as Steve said right at the beginning, is to work on those matters of the heart. And this is so important because waiting and worshiping go hand in hand with Christian living. Now, you may not be so sure of this, so let's just unpack this a little bit more. And as we do that, the ushers are going to come down the aisles, and they're going to give a Bible, and in a few moments, we're going to turn to a passage, Genesis chapter 16. But until that time, okay, if you need a copy of the Scripture, just raise your hands in the air, okay? Our ushers would be delighted to, to give you a copy. But have a look for a moment with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. They're coming down. And just raise your hands high in the air, and they'll give them to you. Look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to be a Christian is to live in that space between the ascension of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. To be a Christian is to wait for his coming. And the promise is God will keep you firm and strong until the end. Worship and waiting go hand in hand. What about this one? Romans chapter 8 verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we all know that the moment a person professes the Lord Jesus Christ to be their own personal Lord and Savior, they are adopted into the family of God. They become sons, and yet there's another side of this, that as we wrestle with the hardships of life, with pain, with difficulty, there is a part of us on the inside that are groaning, that are crying out for the fullness of our salvation and our inheritance to be revealed. We wait for that. Paul also talks in Romans about all of creation groaning as in the pangs of childbirth, eagerly waiting for its redemption. You see, to be a person of faith is to be willing to acknowledge that God has us sometimes living between the promise and the fulfillment. And how we live in the space between influences how our worship appears before the people that God has placed us around. Now, I've shown you two scriptures here. I could show you Jude, verse 21. I could show you 82 other references in the New Testament to waiting that shows us that waiting and worship overlap. To be a Christian is to be willing to wait. The question is, what are you waiting for? And how are you waiting for it? How does your waiting describe your worshiping right now? 
We started the year at Central with this idea that what God wants of his people as they wait for the return of the Lord Jesus is that we use our time wisely. We talked about being 21 again and how God wanted us to redemptively use time that we have to do something. And part of the challenge of a lesson like this for me is that I'm a very active person. I want to make sure that I use my time wisely and I do. But there's another side to this. The more we dig into the scriptures and what the scriptures say about waiting, we realize that waiting is also doing. Because while we wait, God does. God does something outside. God does a work in a person's heart. God does a work in my heart. And so we, we live, don't we, between the idea that the worst thing we can do is just sit there. We need to do something. But sometimes the reality is God places us in certain situations and the worst thing we can do is do something because what we need to do is to sit there and wait while God does something. We live between this tension attention of abounding in God's work and abiding at God's feet. Part of the challenge of living between the promise and the fulfillment is knowing that sometimes the most redemptive use of our time is to sit there and to wait. To wait. Now, how are we supposed to wait according to the Bible? Now, in the Hebrew language, there are a number of words, at least four, I believe, words for the word wait. And one of the most important words is found in this passage of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. The Lord, we read, is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, even young men stumble and fall. What is this talking about? That period of waiting. It gets tiring. But, the prophet says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I'm sure this is one of the, the most uh, you know, important passages for many of you, but that word hope there, those who hope in the Lord, is actually the word, one of the Hebrew words for wait. Those who wait for the Lord. But it's not just a waiting. It is an expectant, hopeful waiting. In the space between the promise and the fulfillment, the most important component is to never give up hope. Never give up hope. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Now, with that foundation in mind, Let's go to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, okay? And the idea here then in the scriptures is to wait expectantly in the sure knowledge of God's sovereignty is basically how we live in the space between the promise and the fulfillment. That's what the scriptures teach us. But in this passage in Genesis 16, 
we're going to observe how difficult this is. Now, this is a passage. If you had a Bible from the ashes, that's page 14. This is a passage which talks about Abram and Sarai and their patient waiting for a child that Nate described earlier. Way back in Genesis chapter 11, the narrator gives us the, uh, the insight to the fact that Sarai was without child. She was childless. Now, in that day and age, to be without a child was shameful. And here we read in Genesis chapter 16, from verse 1, that the situation hasn't changed. We read, now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, now that 10 years is very important, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now verse 1 provides us with the background of the story. Sarai is without child. She's barren. She's feeling the pressure. Why is she feeling the pressure? They've now been in Canaan for 10 years. The number 10 here is important because back in those days, after 10 years of barrenness, a husband was free to divorce his wife and take another. They've been married longer than 10 years, but now they've 10 years in the place of promise and still no child. Now, why is this important? It's important because of what God has said. Abraham, Abraham I'm going to make you the father of nations. And there were other times when Abram and Sarah attempted to do this a different way. We can see this in Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, the preceding chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Abram, this man will not be your heir. Abram was thinking, okay, maybe I need to make someone else a son of mine, adopting another child, because obviously this thing isn't working. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This is the, the context here. Abram, you will have a son, and it won't be an adopted son. It's not a bad thing, it was just not God's plan. But as Sarai was Abram's wife, that meant that she would bear the child. But verse 1 of chapter 16 begins by reminding us that despite the promise, Sarai and Abram actually found it very difficult to wait. Why is waiting so difficult? Some people will say, Waiting is so difficult because it is a spiritual discipline. To wait is to worship, and therefore to wait cuts against everything that it means to be a human being. Waiting is a supernatural thing, and there's a part of that that's right. But don't forget, the moment that a person becomes a child of God, the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit comes in and makes his home in them. Therefore, what is unnatural to us is natural to a supernatural God. And if we submit ourselves to him, what is unnatural to us becomes natural because a supernatural God does a supernatural work. 
And so it may be true that waiting is difficult because it's spiritual, but that's not the whole truth. The whole truth, I believe, is that waiting is difficult, not because it's godly, but because it's scary and because it's painful. Waiting is difficult, firstly, because it is scary to wait and to look into the future and to wonder is difficult. I remember a time when I had to look into my future and it freaked me out. It freaked me out because I'm not afraid of heights, I just don't like them. And this is where I found myself, thanks to my wife's 40th birthday gift. Still freaks me out. Look at me, there's my wife in the background there, I made her jump too. Look at me. I'm not looking at this thing. Look. Now at this moment, terminal velocity is reached and I don't know I'm falling except the flabber that's going around on my face. And I got a camera man right up my nose, so I got a smile. But look at me, I ain't looking down. Look, yeah, that's enough, that's enough. I ain't gonna do this. I think we jumped from about 13 and a half or 14,000 feet. It's in Florida, so he's in shorts. My wife was too because she didn't know I was jumping and I'm like, if I'm jumping, you are. Hey, there we go, cover my eyes, great, I don't want to see. We're getting down to about 5,000 feet now, that's what that second level of clouds were. They're gonna pull the chute, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now in a moment, you'll see, that's where we're going, in a moment, you'll see my wife come down, and she will be clapping, and there she comes. She's just clapping away, look at her, yay, Mrs. Daredevil, hey. And here I come, no clapping for me. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't, I'm afraid of heights, I just don't like them. Now one of the most scary things that I've ever done seriously was on the edge of that airplane, right? Look at it, you can, you can see it, look. Oh my Lord, I'm saying that, right? You can see it, look. Oh. Look at, look at what he does. Look at what, his, look at what his hand does. Look at this. No, he can't go. He pushes me. I, 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 honestly, I hated the thing. One of the most scary things is just waiting to fall. Now, here's the point with this. The guy that I'm jumping with is a South African guy by the name of Solly. Solly came to America on an A1 sporting visa. That may not mean a lot to you, but the top NHL players, NBA players that come into the States from a different country come in on A1 visas. In other words, he's at the top of his field. Solly has won the gold medal at the World Skydiving Championships. More than that, Solly trains most of the national skydiving teams. More than that, have you ever seen those videos with all of those hundreds and hundreds of jumpers jumping out of a plane trying to do the world record? Well, Solly organizes all of that. More than that, any of you who do track and field would have heard of a guy called Fosbury, okay, who revolutionized the high jump. Instead of people kind of 
doing the splits as they go over the high jump. He changed the technique and had them going over backwards. Solly has revolutionized skydiving by the new techniques that he's introduced. What's my point? I didn't have to be afraid. I was actually diving with the best. But you know what? I just don't like heights. It doesn't matter how good he is and how trusted he could be. I was scared. See, the difficulty with waiting is that for some of us, what we're waiting for is so important that we're scared. Waiting is difficult because for some of us, what we're waiting for puts the fear of God into us. For others of you, waiting is difficult because it's painful. Maybe you're here and you're waiting for a child. Maybe you're here and you've waited for a child and not had one. Waiting is difficult because it hurts. Have you ever spent any time with someone who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness? Waiting is really difficult for them. Waiting to die is really difficult for them. Do you know why? Because it hurts. All of the people they love, and they're going to leave behind. Waiting is tough because it's scary and because it's painful. So what do we do? Even though that is the case, what God tells us is, listen, don't doubt in the delay. Now, God hasn't got a problem with doubting. Some people, when I ask the question, what's the opposite of faith, they will say doubt. No, the opposite of faith is unbelief. Doubt is the experience we go through that leads us to a choice of trust God and live, curse God and die. When something is so important to us and we're having to wait for it, we are going to enter into an experience, a season of doubt. And doubt is something that brings us to a fork in the road where we need to make a choice. Are we going to believe God and live or are we going to curse God and die and God, through this story, is telling us, listen, don't make the mistake that Sarah and Abraham made. Don't doubt in the delay. Because when you do that, when you live in your doubt, rather than choose to believe, choose expectant waiting, you will do something stupid. And the author of Genesis makes it 100% clear that what Sarai did was none other than the sin of disobedience. It's remarkable. When you look at the story in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 16, how four verbs that are used there actually are the exact same verbs. They use the same way that describes what Eve did in the Garden of Eden where she took of the fruit, and guys, even though it's Father's Day, we don't get off, and gave it to her husband. Sarai doubted in the delay to the point where she practiced unbelief in the way that Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at this. Both of these women speak 
Both of these ladies listened. Both of these ladies took, Eve took a piece of fruit. Sarai took something that belonged to her, Hagar. And both of them gave. To who? Gave it to their husbands. This language is unmistakable. Unless we miss it, the word cursed is also used in this passage. The word despised in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 4 is the word cursed from Genesis chapter 3. See, when God has us waiting, and what we're waiting for is painful or scary, there is a very real possibility that we can doubt in the delay, and rather than choose expectant, hopeful waiting, we will choose to doubt and do something stupid. And so, what happens in the text? Let's read on, verse 4. What we read in verse 4 is simply this. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, while many of us will look at the actions of Abraham and Sarah and think, how can these people be people of faith doing something as immoral as this? We have to be really careful about putting our cultural values onto another culture's values. You see, back in those days, it was perfectly acceptable for Sarai and Abram to basically do something like this. And so, it wasn't wrong in the eyes of the law what is being done here. But the lesson that we are being taught here is, listen, When you're in the season between the promise and the fulfillment, and you want something so important, if you allow yourself to doubt in the delay, it will lead to an action that causes you to force something that you should not. God says to you, listen, I know this is important to you, but don't force this. Don't force this. See, what Sarai was able to do wasn't wrong in the eyes of the law, but it was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. This was an acceptable, respectable practice for a barren wife. Now, that horrifies us. But the reality is, while it was okay in the eyes of the law, It was not okay in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes something can be right and wrong at the same time. And what is acceptable in the eyes of others may be unacceptable in the eyes of God. In other words, that is when we commit to do God's will the devil's way. Jesus had the same temptation. He was in the wilderness, led there, we're told, by the Holy Spirit to be presented to the adversary, the evil one, the devil, for 40 days to prove himself sufficient to go to a cross to pay the punishment for our blame. And and while he is there, he fasts, and he's hungry. And the adversary comes to him, 
says, hey, Jesus, if you are the Son of God addressing his divine nature, why don't you do something? Why don't you just take this stone that's right here and turn it into bread because the bottom line is you're really hungry and you're not going to do God's will by dying out here in the desert, are you? So listen, why don't you just take this bread, you are God after all, and just take this stone and turn this thing into bread. Now, is there anything wrong with God doing what only God can do? If I give you a stone, can any of you turn this thing into bread? No. The only person that could do that was Jesus. Why? Because he was fully God and fully human. And so the adversary comes to him and said, hey, wait a minute. I know what you've come to do, right? What you've come to do is to do God's will, so why don't you do God's will my way? What does Jesus respond? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I will only do what God tells me to do. Was there anything wrong with Jesus turning stone into, uh, stone into bread? No, except Jesus didn't become a man. The word didn't take on flesh in order to act like God. And I've said this over and over again. The word became flesh in order to act like the sons and daughters of God should have acted, but because of the controlling power of sin, we could not. Jesus says, I'm not going to do that because I am not going to do God's will your way. I'm not even going to do God's will my way. I am going to do God's will God's way. I ain't going to force this. I'm going to wait for this. And what happens? He waits. And after three successful rebuttals, the adversary leaves and the father sends angels to minister to the son of God. He does not force it. How tempted are you to force things rather than to wait for things? Maybe you're waiting for the right one, but you're dating everyone. Maybe you are in a situation where your work environment is awful, but you are contributing to that by actually sharing in all the juicy gossip that is running around the office floor. Maybe. See, I really believe God is saying to us in this season, as difficult as it is, that we need to learn that the moment waiting becomes more than just a longing, it actually is the moment that it becomes a part of living. Because to be a follower of Jesus means that we recognize sometimes we just need to wait. And in that season, we recognize that there is a stature to waiting, and the stature to Christian waiting isn't found in manipulating situations. Maybe you're here and you've got a prodigal child, and you're looking forward to that time when that prodigal child is going to come home, and you're just thinking about ways in which you can get them to church. Maybe you're thinking about ways in which you can just have that conversation. There's a statue to Christian waiting, friends, and it isn't found in manipulating. It's simply found in waiting. Don't sit there. Don't push something. Just wait for God to work. And how are we called to wait in this season? With expectancy, yes. But this scripture is really important. Isaiah 64, 4. This is a scripture that God has printed on my heart. This is so important. Since ancient times, the prophet says, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you 
who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. The word wait here simply means to wait. That's it. No expectancy, no hope, completely different word. Waiting here is just wait. If that's true, then could it also not be true that the reason why some of us are still waiting is because we've been found wanting? See, what the next verse does in verse 5 is it actually tells us the type of waiting that God expects. While we wait, God says, I will come to those of you who do right. Look at that. Could the reason why some of us are still waiting is because we're still forcing it? We're still manipulating it? We're just not waiting for it? And as the old saying goes, we're just not letting it go and letting God do it? The verse here says that God comes to the help of those who gladly do what is right. And then secondly, what Brad told us last week, and those who remember his ways. Remember that image? The Christian lives with their back to the future because what they're always doing is remembering what God has done. While we wait, as tempting as it is to force something, God says, don't force it, just wait for it. Well, God, how long am I going to have to wait? Just wait, son. Wait, child. Don't force, don't push, just wait. Sarai, even though she could do something that was right in the eyes of the law, did something that wasn't right in the eyes of the Lord, and the world has been paying the consequence of this ever since. Now look at how the story continues here. The second part of verse four through verse six, we read these words. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. That's the word curse. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you were responsible for the wrong I am suffering. And, and some of us guys may laugh at this and say, you did it. But no, Abraham abrogated responsibility to lead his family in obedience to the word that God, even in the previous chapter, had actually spoken to him. Guys, this is Father's Day, but one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is to assume responsibility to lead your family according to the promises of God. He abrogated responsibility. I put my slave, she says, in your arms, and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Sometimes when we're in a season of waiting, people may treat us badly. And one of the most important lessons I've discovered through personal experience about being in a season of waiting is simply this. Don't get cranky. Don't get cranky. If you're anything like me, waiting exposes you to relational tensions. I don't like to wait. I'm a guy that gets things done. And when God has me in a season where I just need to wait, then what happens is I can get really, really cranky. Waiting on God is something 
that pulls at the emotions, that strains the relations. And rather than take that pain out on other people, what God tells us to do is, hey, listen, while you're waiting, put the weighty matters on me. Don't take it out on the people around you. Don't do that. Rather, develop an intimacy with me that will enable you to treat other people properly. I like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 131. I put up verse 2. In verse 1, the psalmist has talked about how he has constantly, that's the tense, fought back pride over and over and over again. God has brought him to the point of being humble. And he describes that relationship with God like this. I have calmed and quieted myself. When you're waiting for something and it's important, that's a really big thing to be able to do. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. You know the idea here, right? A baby, when it wants to be fed, it will scream and scream and scream until the thing gets fed. And in the Jewish culture, there was a festival of weaning that took place once the child reached three years of age. And at three years of age, there was this big celebration because now this child didn't always get what it wants and was still able to be intimate with its parent. He says, now I have an intimacy with you that is based on not always getting what I want when I want it. See, that's the mark of maturity. Now, why this is so significant in the Abraham, Sarai, Hagar scenario is that if you were to look at Genesis chapter 21, the strife continues for those five chapters, and then we get to the point of Isaac's festival of weaning. You get to the celebration of Isaac being weaned away from Sarah. And in that text, we read that Hagar, and especially Ishmael, was laughing and mocking at Sarah and Abraham and Isaac to such a point that there was this split in the relationship and Hagar leaves. There's this idea that within this community there is this constant bickering and arguing because they weren't willing to wait and to allow God to do what God wanted done. And so God says to us, listen, when you're waiting for something that's important, don't doubt in the delay, because if you do, it'll force you to do something that may not be wrong, but it isn't right in my eyes. And this will only lead to strife and tension in your relationships. So God says to us, wait. How are we to wait like this? I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord Look at this, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And in case we don't get the point, more than watchmen wait for the morning. We wait with all of those weighty things and we wait before God because to worship is to wait expectantly and faithfully until the very end. Church, worship and waiting overlap. And most of us live most of the time waiting for something. 
what are you waiting for? And how are you waiting for it? And if God is speaking to you about something here, as the band came up, they're going to sing a song, Faithful to the End. I want to encourage you, as they, lit, as they sing these words, to make that commitment in your own heart to say, God, I am committed to waiting faithfully for you until the end. Now, for some of you, this may be so significant that you say, God, I, I need to do something with this. At Central, we have a saying, the altars are always open. If you just sense that you need to lay something down and you need to make that commitment to put the weighty matters on him, then I'd encourage you, as they sing this song, just get up from your seat, just come to the altar, kneel right here where the altar is, and we have a team of people that will come and just stand beside you and alongside you because God wants you to know you never wait alone. You never walk alone. God walks with you. And he's placed the church body to wait with you. So will you wait faithful to the end? Use this song to just align your heart with God's intentions.